if you've spent very much time listening to me, you know how strongly I feel about the importance of collecting and maintaining usable data. And for many nonprofits, one of the core areas of data for them is going to be their fundraising data. And that means you have to have a good fundraising database. So how do you go about assessing what would make a fundraising database the right thing for you? Well, that's why today we're going to be joined by Chad Barger, who owns the firm Productive Fundraising. And he's known across social media as Fundraiser Chad, hosts a popular free monthly webinar series, and he is a bit of a productivity nerd. And he shares all of his tips and ideas for how to actually select the right fundraising database for your organization. And while you may be hoping that you'll hear buy this software, that's not Chad's point because it's not possible from an outside to know what will be the right one for your organization. Only you within your organization can know that, but Chad helps us understand how we can identify the pain points we're trying to solve and what those solutions might be in the possible options out there. So no need to feel overwhelmed. We're going to walk through this in a very approachable way with some great actionable steps we can take to improve our fundraising databases and select the right one for moving forward. Hello and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits everywhere. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannerings. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chad. I'm really excited to have you here to talk about fundraising and databases and how we can actually capture what we need around fundraising and, and make our fundraising more productive and more effective. So let's jump right in, if you're willing. Sure thing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's a topic I love to talk about, and it's a question that comes up. It seems like no matter what we're talking about, Somebody will raise their hand at the end of a session and say, uh, by the way, which fundraising database should I be using? So um, can't wait to dig in. Yeah. And let's just start with like, what is a fundraising database? When we say that, what, what are we talking about? Yeah. So a fundraising database is simply where you're going to record all of the information about your constituents, um, both their personal contact information, how to get in touch with them, and their donation information. So kind of the key is having both at the same place. And usually when we're first starting out, we have them in different places. We have lists of people, we have lists of our donation, and we don't see the full picture around what is that donor's experience with our organization? When have they given? Do they come just to our events? Do they give in the mail as well? Um, and then at an even higher level, it records all of our interactions with them. So that's when we get to that kind of relationship management, constituent management, and looking to take those individual donors to higher levels through cultivation and stewardship and those kind of things. So I like to say it takes the uh, 17 Excel spreadsheets that you might be tracking all of this and puts it into one nice box that um, you can find everything and also you can get data out. You can query it and get reports and it can really just help you fully understand your donor base. I think you hit on something that that is a really common pain point where you might have financial software that's actually doing your donation collection. And then over here, you have your relationship management system. And maybe or maybe not, that's connected into your program management. <laughs> yeah, so where you're engaging with them or, or website tracking where people are visiting. So that's a really good point that things tend to live all these different places. So how do you bring that all 
back together. Now, do you recommend that people try to look for a like single solution software that can do all of this or potentially find ways to pull all that information out of those different places and centralize it into a database that's external, like a third party database? Yeah, it can work either way. Um, it's really just figuring out what their needs are. Um, and what your budget is. Um, there are price points all over the place. Um, you know, it can go from $50 a month to, you know, thousands of dollars a month, depending on what your needs are. But that's always my step. It's really just figuring out what your needs are. Um, and I always start with pain points. Like, what is it about your current system that doesn't work for you? Um, the, those are going to be your key things that you need to address and then learning you know, what the systems offer, what are additional functionalities out there that might streamline, make things more efficient, let us be more donor-centric and able to, to speak with our donors more frequently because we have this tool that ideally frees up some time. Mm -hmm. now, that's a good point, starting with those pain points, because usually everyone has those top of mind. They know exactly what, what isn't working well. Now, I think sometimes they can say, this is really hard for me, but they may not necessarily know what option, like what to ask for to fix that. I always think of, you know, Ford and him saying, if I'd asked you about what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Like the pain point was yeah. I'm going too slow, but they didn't necessarily know what the best solution to going too slow was. So do you have any recommendations for kind of figuring out how to consider solutions to those pain points when you're looking at all of these sometimes overwhelming number of options out there? Right. Yeah. So I always start with those pain points, but then um, I like to just kind of look around a little bit. I find one of the big problems is what we're talking about here is people just don't know what they can do. Figuring that out, it's sometimes easiest just to watch a couple demo videos. I'm not talking about sitting through like hour long live demonstrations of all the functionality, but most of these providers are going to have a three to five minute YouTube overview video just showing like what's the glitzy best part about us. Mm -hmm. And after you watch five or six of them, you see that eh, they kind of all do the same basic things, but with a little slightly different flavor or approach. And you kind of get a sense of, oh, I really like that. I like that. Eh, I don't really need that. I don't think we'd use that. And you just kind of build up this list. It's almost like when you're buying a new house, like what does it have to have? It has to have this. I need three bedrooms, um, one and a half baths. Um, what would be nice to have? Well, if I could have two full baths, that'd be even better. And you kind of build it out that way. But yeah, just getting a sense of what's there um, is really the key. And um, that's actually was my response when I kept getting this question of, you know, what fundraising database should we use? I always say, well, I can't answer that question for you because I don't know your needs. Only you know your unique needs, but what I can do is give you some resources to help you with that. Um, so I ended up building, I call it Fundraiser Chad's Ultimate Guide to Fundraising Databases. Um, it's a really long blog post that starts simply with, what should I be looking for in a fundraising database? What kind of questions should I be asking uh, when I go on these demos? And then it proceeds to just have a list of about 50 of these videos from all different vendors and just giving those a sense giving folks a sense of what is out there and uh, how they might want to navigate that process a little bit. And we hit on, we know that everyone should be collecting that fundraising information, how are donors fundraise, you know, giving to them, um, how they're interacting with your organization, who your prospects are, who your current donors and volunteers are. So I think that's a great starting point of thinking about those pain points and, and seeing what's out there, seeing what those possibilities are. 
You also mentioned you should be able to get data out and report on it, which of course is, is my favorite part of, of this. So what should some critical fundraising metrics be that, that they should be looking for to make sure that they can get out of these systems? Once you start getting data in there, it's entered correctly. I mean, you can pull so many reports. Um, I actually find that's kind of a, another sticking point of once we get into this, it's, oh my gosh, what do I look at? Um, they, most of these systems will come with 30, 40 default reports where do I even go? So I really like, especially for small and mid-sized organizations to simplify this. And I go back to looking at how we kind of reviewed fundraising metrics in like the 90s. Uh, one of my favorite um, fundraising books of all time is simply Fundraising by Jim Greenfield. And in that book, he outlines the uh, nine-point fundraising performance index. And it's simply taking fundraising down to these nine areas, um, their participants, income, expense, percent participation, average gift, net income, average cost per gift, cost of fundraising, and return on investment. So I know people are glazing over, what does all this mean? Um, and I always say that fundraisers are really good at getting the money, but not necessarily counting it. So the math side, we, we tend to not always love but the beauty is, you know, this can be many fundraising databases will compute this automatically. And if not, it's a simple Excel sheet. So you just get the data out of your database um, and plug it in. But what I really love is that return on investment metric, um, that bottom one. For the dollars and especially the time I'm investing in this channel, what is the return? So being able to put our year-end appeal next to our special event, next to our board giving campaign, all side by side, and looking at those return on investment, that gives me that information of, okay, what should we be doing more of? What should we be doing less of? You know, how do we want to plan for the future? And this really, for me, is the first step of fundraising planning. Um, so the fundraising database, database rather, is not going to be your, you know, be all end all, but it's going to be a tool to help you get this data easier, track it easier, and uh, really fuel that planning process. And, and that's a really important metric that you called out there at the end, because that return on investment is telling you for every dollar that you put into this, what are you getting back? And so if you have two you know, inputs that are returning sort of this, a similar total dollar amount, but they have wildly different actual returns on investment. One costs you a lot more to do, then clearly you'd want to invest more in the one where you get a higher return for each dollar that you're putting in. And I think that's kind of easy to miss sometimes because expenses get calculated over here. Fundraisers are working on this. So they get to say, I brought in $100,000 and they're not seeing necessarily how many hours or how much money it took to generate that 100,000. So I think that is a really important metric that is easy to miss. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's simple math. We don't have to glaze over and it can do it for us. Um, but taking the time to really look at that, you know, at least on a quarterly basis, I, I think makes a lot of sense and can really fuel more effective fundraising in any size organization. And you also brought up a good point of being able to segment that by the type of appeal or the type of campaign so that you can know, like, did my social media campaign stack up against, you know, our traditional mailer campaign? And you can understand what was the return on investment and participation per side. Now, how much were people involved in these kinds of things for each side? 
Another great value of that database is simply having a place to put in the tracking code of when you're entering a gift. You know, it's uh, we put on our reply devices, you know, uh, 21YE for 21 year end. And then that code is selected when we enter the data, enter the gift in the database. And then we can run reports and queries on that. So it's, you know, it's the value, whatever we're putting into the database dictates what we can get back out. So making sure we're putting quality information and everything we need to be able to track it is also essential. So kind of like those gift entry or those gift acceptance standards, you know, having those in place, just because you have a great database doesn't mean you're going to have great data. It's how you use it and that consistency that's really essential. Absolutely. I think about buying a really, really expensive like SLR camera, like just holding a really expensive camera doesn't guarantee that your photos are going to come out fantastic. Now, if you want those incredible like long distance shots of the you know, bald eagle diving or whatever, you need the camera, but you still have to learn how do I configure this in such a way and how do I use it in such a way that it delivers that result. And that's such a huge possible pitfall of not training your people who are actually putting the data in, you know, are actually providing the value, right? They're, they're feeding the machine. And if they aren't clear on how to enter that, what they should be entering it, when they use this verse, when they use that code, and they really need to understand how to consistently do that. And I always think also why they're doing it. What's the value of them putting that effort into keeping it consistent? Taking the time ahead of time and just having a chart made up of, okay, here are the appeal codes that we use for each thing, especially if it's multiple people entering data. The fewer people entering, the better. But I know in some organizations we need to have, you know, everyone with access. But yes. I like one or two people having edit access. And then, you know, if, if 10 people need to be able to view, great. But the, the fewer hands in the pot, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also just being prepared for turnover. You know, even if you have two people who are entering data, one of those might leave and you have a new person and that new person needs to be brought up to speed and up to standard as quickly and consistently as possible. So I, I think you really hit on some key elements that we need to make sure that are there. What are either some bells and whistles that might distract us that we really don't need or what might be some data elements, like you said, that are, are available but a bit unnecessary or might even distract us from paying attention to the things we really should be? Yeah, that could really go all over the place for any organization, but, you know, some of these might have a, you know, very dynamic online giving portal or crowdfunding portal. And if we aren't doing that now, you know, maybe we don't need that functionality or at least, you know, at that level. Um, or maybe it has the volunteer management built right into it, but we have, you know, a minimal amount of volunteers or we already have a system that does that. So, it's making sure we're going to use as much of the system as possible on day one, um, rather than, oh, it has this, we can grow into that. Um, and sometimes it almost becomes a, um, you know, we get this capability with our new database and we feel like we have to build that out and it becomes distracting because all of a sudden we're doing this new fundraising tactic that isn't proven in our organization just because we now can when maybe we should be focusing more on meeting with our donors and growing monthly giving and, and other pieces. So selecting a tool that's really good in the direction you know you already know you're gonna be going rather than, oh, it can do all of this great stuff, which later on just becomes kind of like the squirrel out there that just keeps sending you and distracting you and, and uh, becomes more of a problem than, than a help. Shiny, shiny object syndrome is yeah. definitely yeah. real. <laughs> 
I've kind of started saying shiny squirrel because it's like two and one, you know, then it's, it's uh, all over the place. So. And it moves. The shiny squirrel yeah. keeps moving. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> at, at what size, what point does an organization start to realize you really need to have this in place? Like, is it a shop of one? Should at that point, does everyone need one? Or is it when we're talking about, you know, a certain dollar amount of fundraising or a certain number of people on your staff or a certain number of donors? You know, what, what's your guideline on when organizations should really start considering bringing in official fundraising databases? Right. So, I mean, the price points on some of these, especially the entry-level systems, it's gotten to the point where, I mean, a couple hundred dollars a year can really address this for you. There's not a huge barrier to entry anymore. So for me, it's more, when do we have a pain point? When do we, um, you know, multiple people need to be able to access the information? That's sometimes a point where, you know, we all of a sudden end up with files with duplicate copies and conflicting versions. You know, that, that can be a time. Um, a lot of times I see like organizations, they raise more than maybe like 50,000 a year. Oftentimes things start getting complicated at that point that this makes sense, but it's a bit of a random number. So it's really, you know, when does the data become a pain point? You know, if we say, oh, can we pull up a list of people that have attended our golf tournament for the last three years? If that takes an hour to put together, realize that you could pull that report in about 30 seconds. So where is, you know, that, that time trade-off um, versus the dollars invested? Where does that hit for your organization? And that's a really good point because sometimes the, is it broken, is can we do it or not? And as long as you can do it, oftentimes organizations will be like, well, then it's fine. We'll just figure it out. Discounting the fact that there's individuals that you're paying $30, $40, $50 an hour, and they're spending hours doing something that, you know, a $50 a month piece of software could do in 30 seconds. So yeah, right. that time lost as well as the ability or inability to do critical things, I think is an important, important point as well. Do you have any advice for an organization that realizes they have some of these pain points, they're probably ready to, to invest in being able to access their data in the way that they need, but are hesitant to try to make the change or, or a little bit hesitant to let go of the systems that they've been using so far, even if they are causing pain? Yeah, I think just doing, checking it out, just looking into the options, you know, sticking your toe in the water a little bit, seeing what's out there. And then, um, I'll kind of give two tips for that process that I think might address this a little bit. Um, the first is you don't have to purchase this system blind. You don't have to just watch a demo and say, okay, I'm in. You can do something called sandboxing. So all of these providers um, have what's essentially a database fully functional with fake data in it that then give access to you. So you can test entering a donation yourself, running reports, you know, these demos that we attend, um, you know, it's on Zoom, there's a screen share, there's somebody whose job it is, all they do is do live demos with people. So of course, they're going to make it look super easy to use this tool, you know, they can click and do anything instantly, try it out for yourself and see, you know, is this easier than what I'm already doing? Um, in time, if I got better at this, would this make a big difference? So you can really see how it actually works, not just how the professional uses it and shows it that way. And my other tip there too is um, a lot of organizations, they say, okay, we're gonna go forward with this. Here's our budget. We can do $2,000 a year. Uh, we can't go above that. So they look for the 
best tool they can get right up to $2,000. And then they don't have any money left to do things like training or data conversion. If we don't get our data put into this properly, it's gonna be even more work than before. So I sometimes recommend groups to you know, only spend maybe like two thirds of your budget and then have those funds available to get assistance with the data conversion. So you're not just trying to figure it out yourself because if that doesn't go well, then you're gonna regret going down this path uh, for many, many years to come. And training is essential, not just for the primary user, but for anybody that's using it, especially anybody that has the ability to edit the data in there, because it's just as easy to mess it up after it's in there than before. Yes, no, absolutely. I, that's a really great point that's easy to miss. People might not think about the work that needs to be done after you've actually secured your platform. And then another piece that is whether there's any customization that needs to happen. Some of these platforms do allow customization, but if you've maxed out your budget buying the product, you may then not have budget left over to actually customize it in a way that would really help you um, and make sure that you use it. And plus you might not even need, we talked about the shiny squirrels. You might not need the best that you know, $2,000 can buy. It might be that the $1,000 one was actually the one you would use and the, the fancy one's gonna distract you and, and not be, be as functional. Right, yeah, and save some of that money. I mean, a lot of these tools will have online giving um, implemented. So, you know, you somebody makes a donation on your website, it automatically goes into the database. You don't have to deal with that. Uh, but, you know, you're gonna have code from the database that needs put onto your website. And if you're not comfortable with that, then you're gonna have a bill coming from your webmaster to do that as well. So there's these little incremental pieces. So spending your whole budget is not a great idea. Um, have those, those other pieces around to be able to, to fund some of these other initiatives. And also being aware of all the points where this might be connected into. Like you said, if you're, you're going to go the online fundraising route and you wanna make sure you include it in your website, then you need to be considering what it will take to use your website. You know, same as if you're gonna be changing how finance team is working, right? Is that gonna change disbursement? Is that gonna change other processes that you need to make sure that you're one, bringing them in so you get their buy-in on what you're picking, um, but also making sure that you understand any additional costs or customization or training, making sure that you understand the full impact of, of that change. Are there any final sort of pitfalls or warnings that you have that you see organizations miss as they go into this process of trying to find a database or select a database? You know, I think it's really just um, overwhelm and um, dragging the feet. You know, I find you either love this process or hate it. Um, so the people that love it kind of rush it. You know, they're, they're really excited. They go in um, they do what they think is thorough analysis, but maybe they forget that, yeah, accounting is going to use this too, because it needs to integrate with QuickBooks. And we went down this path, made a recommendation before we got everybody together. And the people that really dread this and don't like it, it, it just goes on for six, nine, 12 months. At some point, we just have to make the call. So I think just understanding how you're approaching it and really setting some firm, um, time constraints um, and time to do it. I mean, I'm a big fan of time blocking. So, you know, I would just say, can you block, you know, three afternoons in the next month to really just dig deep into this? And your goal is at the end of that to have, if not a selection, at least a path, you know, something narrowed, knowing exactly what we need. The, the scope of this project has gone from the huge select a fundraising database that will be perfect for our organization down to 
okay, demo with these three groups, figure out which one will meet the best needs. Um, but just always narrowing that scope and getting it a little, a little closer to that end selection process. Well, and hopefully the discussion on the pain points that you do at the beginning will help those people who are hesitant about going into this, because at least you're calling out, look, this is how bad it is right now. This is all these things that you're really struggling with. And we can have a way to make those things better. And so it can still be frightening, but you know, including them in the conversation, helping them move forward. And if you're the one who's hesitant, you know, realizing why you're going to do this work can help kind of overcome that too. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and your knowledge on database selection. I think that this is a big challenge for a lot of organizations. And so I think this will really help people to hear and realize that it's, it's not impossible. It's not overwhelming. You really can do this and it's helpful. Yeah, it's certainly not overwhelming. You can do it. Anyone can do it. You don't have to be a data expert. You don't have to be a fundraising expert. It's just going step by step. And I have some of these tools that we can help people. So if we can link up that ultimate guide, and I also have that Excel sheet with the uh, solicitation performance index on there to help people with data a little bit too. And I uh, would love to share those uh, for your listeners. Absolutely. We'll include those links in the show notes. And if people want to learn more from you, where could they find you? Sure thing. I'm happy to connect. Um, I go by Fundraiser Chad on all of the social media channels. So feel free to reach out to me there. And my site is productivefundraising.com. have tons of free resources. I do a free monthly webinar. Um, just happy to put information out to the sector and uh, see more ethical and productive fundraising out there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And we will include all those other resources as well in our show notes. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Miraconos, an analytics, education, consulting, and data services company dedicated to helping nonprofits amplify their impact through data. Learn more at Miraconos.com. M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S dot com.